and a former South African soldier, William Endley, who faced the death penalty in South Sudan, has safely returned to South Africa. He was pardoned by President Salva Kiir last month as part of a peace deal. Endley had been charged with espionage and conspiring to overthrow the government. William Endley joins us on the line now. Thank you so much for your time today, William. Uh, welcome back to the country. It, it sounds like you have been through a really traumatic experience over the last few years. How are you recovering? Well, things happened very, very quickly from last Thursday. We were actually supposed to have left the prison, but due to public holiday declared there and some delays in work, we were released the Friday morning, so I spent my last week this time still in Juba Central Prison wow. with one great advantage. My chains and the leg shackles had been removed, so it was quite pleasant for, for once. Uh, William, we're just struggling to hear you a little bit. It sounds like you're in a windy area, so uh, I'm hoping the line is going to get better. But uh, just tell us, what are the conditions like in Juba Prison, where you were kept? See, Juba Prison is a normal prison, but I spent basically 18 months in the National Security Detention Center, and the two are like chalk and cheese. The National Security Center, I used to refer to them as the Gestapo of South Sudan. Mm. Um, it is a notorious center. People have been taken there, have never been seen again. And it is known for rule of law does not exist. There is no legal access. People are beaten. People are tortured. I was not tortured. And people have been taken away in the middle of the night and you never see them again. So the detention center is something else. The Juba Central Prison, the conditions are very, very basic. Mm -hmm. For example, there is no power. There is no running water. But the approach, the treatment is much more humane. And the Red Cross, the United Nations, uh, rule of law, human rights, have access to Juba Prison. Even though I did not have access to the Red Cross until close to the end, but... The treatment is much better. We, we saw pictures of you in, in a few months ago in which you looked terribly gaunt because we were told prisoners like you didn't always have access to food or medication. Yes. Um, well, the, the food ration is very simple. It's a mug of beans and a plate of Millipop every day or for 24 hours. Mm. And I was very, very ill until some medicine started arriving through the embassy and some money could come from my family. But the medical treatment was non-existent. For example, when I was lying, almost dying from chronic malaria, and uh, the guy in charge of the detention was told I was going to die, the answer was quite simple. Oh, let him die. On the other occasion, the doctor who was supposed to be working there said, told me, you know, white man or kawaja in Arabic, sometimes pain is good, and I saw him about two weeks later. Mm. So, uh, yeah, the conditions are, are not good. I understand you spent a good deal of time in solitary confinement, William. How did you maintain your sanity under those conditions? Well, I made the joke the other day when I was interviewed and someone asked how did I maintain it. I said the fact that I don't have sanity is what put me there in the first place. (laughs) But um, it was a mental battle, which I just realized from, from the beginning. You know, we do training and you work in countries like Iraq where we are trained how to handle if you've been taken hostage, etc. But when the reality comes mm-hmm. and you're told we, we, no one knows you, we can keep you here for 10 years or we can take you down to the river. 
So from the beginning, I had a mental battle, which I decided come hell, high water. I'm not sure which one came. But um, the fact is, I could not give in to them, and I forced myself to focus on a positive outcome and on remaining positive, washing when I could, keeping myself disciplined, my personal hygiene in place. And that, that is what carried me through. Were you aware of the efforts that your family was making, that the embassy was making, the, the various appeals from friends of yours in this country uh, to, to international officials to release you? At one point, I wasn't sure what was happening. It was more than one year before I was allowed officially to use a telephone. So up until then, no. It's, uh, you know, the desolation, the despair, the loneliness is very, very difficult to manage. And sometimes, you know, the question you just asked, I'm not sure at times how I managed to, to, to get through that, but I did. What was it that got you through? I just think personal self-discipline probably been very stubborn you know, and the, the fact is I was a leader in our military I was a leader across there most of my life I've been a leader and I still believe in that old adage by leading by example I couldn't come back here and I was offered money to betray Dr. Shah, which I refused to accept and um, change sides and I think that is probably what aggravated it. But leading by example and knowing I have to set the way ahead and I have to come back and face my people, my friends, my former soldiers, and if I did not do what was expected for them and what I've been telling them all over time, how to behave and how to conduct yourself, doesn't matter how dangerous, how bad it is, um, I could not live with myself. And I can proudly say I can look myself in the, in the mirror now. Uh, tell me, William, do, do you feel that Riek Machar came through for you? I, I know uh, it, it may have seemed like that happened at the end due to the peace deal, but, di- but did you feel, did you have faith that he would try to get you out of that prison at some point? Most definitely. I know for the fact which when I got to the, the central prison, uh, communication was much easier, both officially and unofficially. Um, my case and James Gadet's case was discussed with President Museveni of Uganda, Omar al-Bashir of Sudan, Kenyatta in, in Kenya. I know it was discussed with our president back there in South Africa. So the effort at that point was led by his wife, Angelina Teng. Dr. Riyak himself was still under house arrest in South Africa. So the SPLM in opposition from day one, started working, doing their best to get us out. And I know for a fact uh, Dr. Riak refused to come to the peace celebration if myself and James Cadet were not released. Some were suspicious that you had gone to South Sudan as a mercenary. When your sister spoke to us last week, she denied that. But you tell, could you tell us in your own words what took you there? What, what did you go there to do? Yes. Yes. Um, Dr. Riak is a personal friend of mine. That's how I know him. I've known him since 2007. And I left Juba officially at the end of December, in December 2014. Dr. Riak was in South Africa, in Pretoria, undergoing medical treatment. I went to see him. This was early 2015. And in that discussion, my previous background was the National Peacekeeping Force, the integration process with the National Defense Force. And he requested me to become an advisor to him specifically on the integration process to get his forces for the so-called rebels back within the government forces. But the main role that I was going to play was the security assessment of the peace agreement that was signed in 2015. And when I came back with Dr. Riyak Mashal, an hour later after we landed, 
he was sworn in as the first vice president of South Sudan. So I came back as the, the advisor to the first president of, of, of the republic, not as the advisor to the rebel group. So, so just explain this to me. I mean, now, now that, uh, that you've left there and you're back home, do you have any more, any further connection to Riek Machar or South Sudan? Do you ever intend to go back or are you back home now for good? No, I'm back home not for good. I had been in contact with him. In fact, uh, as we were released on Friday, he called me and asked me to come see him in Khartoum in Sudan, which I will do. So the work that we were going to start is far from finished, and I am prepared to go back with him and to get that process back on track. After all that's happened to you, William, after all that's happened, you're prepared to go back to South Sudan? I am. As I say, I believe I can make a difference, and the people of South Sudan need assistance. The whole country is in a total mess. It's almost indescribable. And the fact is, the average South Sudanese citizen, uh, they are hospitable, they are mannered, they are well-behaved. But when the politics within the rebel movement took over, that is where things started happening. We had a group that literally went out of the way to kill Dr. Riafashar and to take over positions in the government, which is exactly what happened. All right, let's leave it there. Thank you for speaking to us. William Endley, former South African soldier, back in South Africa after being incarcerated in South Sudan.